Hey, it's Will Friedle. And Sabrina Bryan. And we're the hosts of the new podcast, Magical Rewind. You may know us from some of your favorite childhood TV movies like My Date with the President's Daughter. And the Cheetah Girls movies. Together we're sitting down to watch all the movies you grew up with and chat with some of your favorite stars and crew that made these iconic movies happen. So kick back, grab your popcorn, and join us. Listen to Magical Rewind on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Hey everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up! And call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. Hey, have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app, and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast. Up next, Out Loud with John O'Caldwell, part of the Gingrich 360 Network. A former Fox News host is accused of going woke. The debacle in Afghanistan is reigniting the terror threat against America. And just how real is reality TV? We got a lot to cover today and a wide-ranging show. This is Out Loud with Gianno Caldwell. I'm beyond excited to welcome Ebony K. Williams to Out Loud with Gianno Caldwell. Thank you for coming on, Big Sis. I love you so much. I'm so, so honored to have you on my last episode. And really importantly here, this is your first conservative podcast since you left Fox years ago. It is. It is. Yeah, bro. This is, uh, this is my honor. You know, I remember... When we were having, uh, you know, preliminary conversations around you and podcasting and what's the show and what's the title and what's the cover art. So, uh, you know, to be here today after such a successful season, um, it's a manifestation of, of God's will. And I'm, I'm honored and, and congratulations, truly. Absolutely. And thank you for, for mentioning that. As I was going to mention, you were very involved in the process of shooting you ideas, thoughts. What do you think of this picture? What do you think of this graphic? And he was like, ah, I like this. I don't like that. So you've been a part of the process for many years and my career, especially. So not just with the podcast for those who are listening, but also with television as well. And if I can tell this brief story of how we met many, many years ago, I saw a clip of Ebony on Twitter and my first thought was, wow, this is a beautiful woman. Let me hear what she has to say. And when I listened, I'm like, wow, she's brilliant. Let me look for more of her YouTubes and so on. And I listened and I listened and I listened and I followed you on Twitter. And then all of a sudden, your name was coming up everywhere. A woman who I've never heard of before that moment. I'm hearing about you in South Carolina at a rooftop of the bar in Chicago on the 98th floor, downtown Chicago. Somebody's mentioning you. I'm hearing about you at dinner during a New Year's Eve uh, with Armstrong Williams and others. And I said, you know what? Next time I co-host Armstrong's Series XM radio show, I have to have this woman on, which I did. And then after uh, we did our thing, which was more of a debate than anything else about uh, executive order pushed through by President Obama. 
and I know you were a big supporter of his at, at that time. Um, I may be still now. But anyway, after we had that debate, you said, listen, next time you're in New York, let me know. We'll get together and have a conversation, which we did. And you offered me help just on the onset, which I've not really necessarily had that experience unless I was super seeking it or people will offer it. But no one has been so freely in a position to help who's offered to help and has been so consistent. So throughout my entire career, and I started in politics when I was 14, started working for the federal government when I was 16, part-time, so on and so forth, been a lobbyist, and of course was on television before I met you, CNN and other networks, but I had so desperately, desperately tried to get into Fox News, and it's very tough. You and one conversation said, hey, I'll introduce you to the producers. Let me know the next time you're in New York. And I said, I'll be back next week. Friday, which it was a Friday we were meeting. You said, I won't be available. I said, well, when are you available, Ebony K. Williams? You said, Tuesday. I said, I'll be back here Tuesday. And I took the $20 bus. But yeah, you helped me. And you've been just by my side looking at every one of my television appearances for two months straight, giving me advice, critique, um, love and support throughout. So I, I really honor you. And I'm really thankful to have you on my very last 50th episode. So thank you so much. No, thank you for all of all of that, G. And I just want to give context to some of your listeners as to how that positioning came about, right? So a couple things that you left out of the storytelling. Number one, after you said, you know, my name is in the ethos and you're like, okay, this is, you know, probably an indicator that I should have uh, some kind of content, t- content engagement with this woman. You actually cold tweeted me. Um, to invite me to be a guest on Armstrong Williams Show. Now, of course, I'd heard of Armstrong Williams Show, but I never had any in- inclination to to be on. But I thought there was something very audacious um, about a young man who was guest hosting to have the audacity to ask a then legal and political contributor and analyst at Fox News that he had never met um, to join him in that debate on an issue that we on that issue were on opposite sides of. Um, and I really, I really liked it. I respected it. I thought that told me already something about you. So I, I, I complied. Then I liked very similar to me, and this will lead me to why I even felt in, inclined to introduce you to anybody at Fox News, um, was you presented fact-based argument. You know, you know me to know I'm not big when people enter spaces of high stakes where you're talking about policy, you're talking about life or death decisions that our federal and state and local government make as it relates to the well-being of everyday American citizens. And you bring a bunch of hyperbole, a bunch of emotion, a bunch of hubris. I'm not into it. Um, I don't rock like that. And you, in that debate, G, you presented facts. We didn't agree on the application of the facts. That's okay. I want to say that one more time because I think that's being very lost (laughs) in this whole ethos right now um, as it relates to politics and debate and, and conversation. We didn't agree on the application of the facts, but we agreed on the facts. And from there, we could have an intellectualized, practical and productive conversation as it relates to how this stuff can help people. Boom. Cool. So afterwards, you did follow up and you were like, yeah, let's let me know when you can can link. Fine. I hear that 30 times a day, every day. Fine. Um, you followed up. And I'm telling these details, G, to, to let people know that it's not just some magic fairy godmother or godfather that's going to come out the universe and, and, and put you in position to succeed. It doesn't work that way. 
What can happen, you hear this often, uh, success is, is where opportunity meets preparation. What's important here is that you were prepared to be put in position. So when we let's go to that very first meeting. Um, I said, let me see some of your, your, your reel. And first of all, you had a reel to show me. <laughs> let's start there. <laughs> no, I'm serious because a lot of people, they reach out to you, they reach out to me, they reach out to our colleagues, and they want to be on prime time, <laughs> Fox News, CNN, what have you. And when you ask them for basic examples of their work, what would you do? If you had an eight o'clock time slot, if God came down himself right now and said, you got the eight o'clock time slot all week, what does your content look like? You can't answer that. Then what do you expect of people? So anyways, I asked you for a reel. You gave me a reel. I watched several clips and I said immediately just by watching that reel, Giano, a couple of things stood out to me. Number one, you knew how to present on camera. Okay. Like just aesthetically. And that's important in this business. One thing Roger Ailes taught me, uh, this is optics. This is television. Okay. This is a visual business. Um, regardless of, you know, things that they came out that were of course very problematic, the basic tentacles of television remain. This is a visual business and your ability to present well, aesthetically, optically is paramount. You knew how to, to look good on television. Go, great. Don't have to teach you that. Number two, again, you make fact-based coherent arguments to de to agree or disagree. That's not the point. You know how to sit in front of someone else of opposite position and make an argument. Great. The rest of the stuff can be tweaked. Cool. So it was enough for me to say, this is a young man. Also, you talked about how desperately uh, hard you would work to be on Fox News. It's not a secret. Um, none of the networks, in my opinion, um, when I say networks, I'm talking about, of course, the cable news networks, Fox News, uh, MSNBC, CNN. I don't think any of them have an adequate number of representation of diverse voices. And when I say diverse voices, I'm not just talking about skin color, although that's important. I'm also talking about ideological diversity. I'm talking about regional diversity, where in this country um, you come from, where your perspective is informed. You know, gee, I'm a daughter from the South. That is not a perspective you see a lot on these national news outlets. Not because people from the South aren't on there. We don't necessarily talk about it. I think it's of the utmost importance. Um, so you were bringing a perspective, you know, born and bred, South Side of Chicago, uh, coming from, you know, a, a, a background that I related to, extremely humble beginnings, uh, entrepreneurship instilled upon you by your grandfather, like just stuff that just vibed with me. You know, we, we talked a lot about our mothers and, you know, just different things that made us have a unique perspective on, on themes like hard work, opportunity, what success looks like, um, mm -hmm. resilience, uh, by way of the American dream. So all of that was really, really dope to me. Many people ask you about your journey with God, which I think is the really the center place of your life. A lot of your decisions come from that place. And I love for you to kind of share with us, you know, what has that really been like in your journey in television uh, and law? You know, Gianno, it's, a, it's an important question because while wow, people don't ask me about the role God and my faith plays in my day-to-day -day and, and particularly my work, it is something that, as you know, because you, you know, consume a lot of my content and interviews, I intentionally try to deliver those realities um, because I think it's important that people know this is not me, really. Simply put, Gianno, um, the work that I do, the blessings that I've been able to receive, the impact um, to the extent I have been able to make one, it, it's not my doing. I know that. 
Um, I've been very clear from a very early age that all is happening here is that I am a vessel. That's it. I am a vessel of God's will. Uh, I believe in spiritual gifts. I think every single person born gets some or some spiritual gifts. And I think what is so incredibly rewarding, G, and, and we've had these conversations in depth for years, is when you are able to identify with some level of precision, what are your spiritual gifts, right? And then once you know what those spiritual gifts are, then to me, and, and there's actually, um, and I'm not a, a big Bible thumper, as you know, but my, my belief and my faith is of the utmost importance. But I do believe there's scripture that talks about you know, God gives you spiritual gifts. That's him doing his his part. Your part is to then figure out how to pour those spiritual gifts that he gives you back into the world. Everything that I do, and a lot of people look at the moves I make in the business, <laughs> um, and they don't understand them. So whether it's going to Fox News in the first place, whether it's making a decision after several years um, of being successful on the network to then pivoting uh, to leave the network to uncertain future. Then it was taking a role at Revolt, which is a completely urban, uh, Black-centric outlet owned, of course, by Sean mm -hmm. P. Diddy Combs, uh, hosting a real hip-hop talk show <laughs> um, with nationally yeah, yeah. recognized, internationally <laughs> Grammy-nominated uh, actors, uh, uh, rappers, rather, um, Joe Button and Remy Ma and Brandon Jinks. People, that didn't make sense to people. No, they didn't. Real Housewives <laughs> of New York, like, what you doing, Eb? But what you knew the whole time, because we were discussing it, I was letting God order my steps, right? This is God putting me in front of particular audience so that my particular spiritual gifts could be manifested, could mm. be received from those who otherwise might not be privy to those elements, those energies, those particular things. So I just can't say enough. I, again, I guess simply put, it's just, I'm not making these decisions, Giano. I'm not making yeah. these decisions. I'm not making these moves. I'm not, I'm not in front of the wheel. You know, one of the greatest spiritual challenges I've had my entire adult life has been the, the, the spiritual challenge and requirement really of surrender. Because it's like, if mm. I'm trying to drive the bus and God's trying to drive the bus, we're not going to get to where we're going. Right. So I had to humble myself, humble my ego, humble my so-called intelligence to surrender. You know, you you mentioned something to me here, and it, it reminds me of something that Dr. Bill Winston, my pastor back home, uh, says a lot. We've been to his church. He says, it's not me. It's God in me. He's doing the work. So that really, I think, adjusted my thinking as you said that. But you also said a couple other things that stuck out to me. Uh, one being you're used to being the person that drives, we'll just call it a private jet, a fancy one. And when you look to make a decision, it's like being on a football field. You're already looking at the other end. And we know how many, well, I don't know how many yards it is. You do. You're the sport, sports person. But you're looking way ahead. And how hard is it for you to really let go and just let God guide you? I think that got to be a very difficult very difficult decision for you because you're always in the front seat of your life, your career, and all of your personal life, all of those things. You're really flying the plane. So how do you how do you adjust to that? It's been my age the, and ex life experience, I guess, more so than the number of my age. It was hard for me 
three years ago, it was hard for me five years ago. It's not hard for me now because I just trust him so implicit. How could I not? Yes, ma'am. How could you not? And that's not easy to say to your question. So I don't want to oversimplify your question because it's real. This used to be a serious spiritual struggle for me because I felt in my heart, I wanted to be obedient and follow God's calling. But I'm like, but God, what you doing? You know, like that don't look like right. a move. Um, but he's been so right. He's been so consistent. consistent. He's been yeah. so forward thinking in things I never thought about. I never thought about being on reality TV in all the years you've ever known me up and until this point. Had you ever heard me talk about no reality? Never, never. Never. Not pitching one, not starting one, not going to be on an existing one. That was not my plan. There are other things I've wanted to do in the business. Um, you know, write the book, do this, do that. Uh, maybe host a game show, a judge show. Da, 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 da. You never heard me talk about no reality show. So when that opportunity so, quote, quote, randomly popped up, I knew it couldn't be anything but God. And so it was easy to trust it. And then when in 13 years, they've never had a black woman, not one. And of all of the thousands, tens of thousands of incredible, beautiful, brilliant, super wealthy black women they could have picked, they picked me. Come on. That wasn't them picking me. That was God picking me. Absolutely. Favor. Who am I to say no to God? Amen. So that is such a fresh take and perspective. I think a lot of people especially those who've always viewed their career as simply put being in their hands. Not to say that you didn't work hard, that you weren't exceptional in so many different ways. Not to say any of those things aren't the case, but there's a lot of exceptional people out there that don't know it. Or there's a lot of exceptional people out here who think they can do everything just on their own without God. And you're not one of those people, although you're one of the most brilliant people that I know, and I think you're one of the most brilliant people that a lot of people know. <laughs> so, you know, it's not a unique experience for me. But let, let, let's let go to just the foundation of you, your mom, right? Before getting into the big issues of the day, the show and all of that, which we're going to get into. And I thank you for spending the time. You were raised by a single mother who wasn't formally educated, but was still a small business owner. Can you tell us what it was like growing up with Mama Gloria who, who I love and adore personally, but uh, she's tough. She's a tough person to grow up under. She's very tough. She believes in discipline. She believes in hard work. Um, that discipline sometime, sometimes came at brute force. Um, you can debate the merits of that in a modern society, but I can tell you it was, it was what was done at the time. She, you know, and one of the things she did, you know, it, it's old school stuff, but, you know, she and my aunts, may they rest in peace, they literally taught me how to pray. Like that was a part of my upbringing was getting on my knees at night and saying the Lord's Prayer. And while as a kid, you don't really necessarily know the significance of that, or at least I didn't. Um, it was once you start living life, once you start going through some things, whether it's in school or at, at, at summer jobs or work, the, like the, that's when my mom's tutelage G really started showing up for me because she, you know, maybe it was partly because I was raised with a single mom. She was very clear on my heavenly father. You know, that's a term mm. that I don't know that we spend a lot of time on in a modern society, but there is such thing as a heavenly father who will do two things always. Provide and protect. Ooh, I like that. I like that. Provide and protect. Yeah. So it's one of those things. And then there's just certain things, like some things that come top of mind. If you take one step, God will take two. 
I, I believe that with my spirit, Gianno Caldwell. I see it evidenced in every aspect of my life. I'll give you this. When I was desperately trying to get on any platform, right? So this is back 2010, 2011. I'm transitioning from the courtroom as a practicing lawyer to trying to be a national, international broadcaster. Nobody would put me on a segment. Like it was a struggle to get on HuffPost Live back when that was a thing. And so mom said, I would call her, I'd be frustrated. Like, I'm so talented. I'm so good. I'm so smart. I got this law degree. Nobody's done. She said, have you taken your step? Because until you take your step, God can't move. I said, all mm-hmm. right. So then my mandate, G, was every single day, at least 10 outreach points. So whether that's e- cold emailing producers, cold calling networks, sending out cover letters, resumes, clips, tapes, the every day for, I'm talking about nine, 10 months. And it would mm. mostly go unanswered. But I felt like if I don't do my steps, he can't move. I believe that now, even now where God has blessed me to be, you know me every day. I'm hitting up so-and-so, so-and-so. I would be great for this role. <laughs> yeah. I would love this job. And I'm talking about some high-level power-playing executives because who am I to sit mm-hmm. back with arrogance and complacent energy and think that, Things are owed to me. I just I just don't believe it. And you're right. All of that goes back to my mother, who I saw bust her ass, pardon my French, to make sure that she and her child had everything we needed and most everything we wanted. So, you know, when she came uh, to, to get me at 23 years old and we, you know, ran, you know, started setting up household with just me and her. This is a woman who worked three jobs at one time. This is a woman who put herself through beauty school while driving the bus for public schools at five o'clock in the morning and while running packages for UPS at night. You know, so that's the the stock from which I come from. So I don't know anything but hard work and I only know God to reward hard work. Amen. And you, in some ways, while your mom was riding, driving that bus at 5 a.m., you were kind of getting up and pouring your own cereal. You were reading and you were, what, six years old at the time? Yeah, I was kind of being a hot mess, too. I don't know if you remember toaster strudels. Yeah, I remember those. I remember. Five strudels, pastries, and then you get five packs of icing to go with each strudel. Well, I remember them on TV. We weren't wealthy enough to have them, so I, I can only take your word for it. You're, 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 <laughs> you're so silly. Well, I remember when we were wealthy enough to get the actual toaster strudels, um, not the off-brand, mm-hmm. which we did that too. But you're supposed to get one pack of frosting for each strudel. And I was such a little badass kid. This was like the worst thing I would do. I would eat all five icing packs at one mm-hmm. time and then be really sad the rest of the week when I would have a dry-ass pastry. <laughs> but that was the kind of stuff you do when your mom leaves at 5 in the morning. And it's just you making yourself breakfast, like you said, reading, trying to finish homework, and then getting on a school bus as a latchkey kid. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I got Ebony K. Williams with me, Real Housewives of New York, as well as a former host on Fox News Channel. I'm sure y'all enjoying the conversation. Stick with us. We'll be back right after a quick break. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats 
even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at lifelock.com slash news. That's lifelock.com slash news to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. Hey everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. Good sleep should come naturally. And with the new Natural Hybrid mattress, it can. A collaboration between award-winning mattress brand Lisa and home design favorite West Elm, the Natural Hybrid is the culmination of these two companies' shared values. Premium materials, meticulous craftsmanship, and sustainable practices. Made with natural latex, responsibly sourced natural wool, and environmentally safe foams, the Natural Hybrid elevates your sleep sanctuary, indulges your senses, and supports a greener tomorrow. Plus, when you purchase the Natural Hybrid, Hybrid, you're also helping fuel Lisa's work with shelters and those in need. Since 2015, Lisa has donated more than 40,000 mattresses to ensure children and families have a safe place to sleep. Don't put off a good night's sleep any longer. Get a Lisa mattress today for a sound sleep tonight. Visit lisa.com slash iHeart. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com slash iHeart. How was... The impact of, you know, I know single mom, how was the impact of being raised without a father, uh, not knowing who your dad was doing, you know, you're a young woman, you were doing pageants. And of course, I'm sure a lot of young men as you were growing up were trying to get your attention. You're clearly a beautiful woman. How was that experience of not necessarily having a dad to talk to about the decisions that you were going to make or having that figure in there to tell you outside of your mom how beautiful you are, how talented you are? And all of those things that some people receive from their father figures as, as young women. Absolutely. And listen, my mom did did an incredible job to, to make sure that she was providing and protecting as best she could. But, you know, e- even today, you know, it's hard for her to, because she so deeply loves her daughter, she can't father. It's an impossibility right. for a woman, any woman, to father. And I think that's recent through therapy and through prayer and through, you know, my work at the Hoffman Institute, Gianno, that I've just recently, when I say recent, I'm talking about the last two to three years, been able to sit with the, the pain and the reality that not having that male figure in my life to tell me those things, you are beautiful, you are high valued, you are special, you deserve the very best. Any man that puts himself in front of you must come to this level um, otherwise, he is not deserving. When you don't have a man to tell you that and affirm that, you're operating on on an imagination, really. So mm-hmm. literally, you know, when I, I showed up in you know my first marriage, I had no idea what I was doing because I had not seen it, you know. And that's not an excuse. That's just the reality. 
um, as I now prepare for my second and, and final marriage, God willing, <laughs> um, I think a lot about that, G. I think a lot about, you know, what my expectations of my, not only husband, but I'm choosing the father of my child. You know, and what does that look like? What elements need to be there? And it is a journey and it's something that I have to talk to you about. My other, the men in that are in my life. And I don't do a whole lot of male platonic friends because, you know, it's just not the vibes. <laughs> it's not the vibes. Okay. A lot of people be operate with false agendas. Um, but, <laughs> but, but the ones, the handful of, of men that I love and trust deeply like that, I have to defer to you. You know, what mm. does that look like? What does that energy feel like? Because I didn't grow up with it, Gene. I didn't. And mm -hmm. so, you know, I have to mourn the loss that I did not have that growing up. I'm now, like I said, almost 38 years old. I'm not going to get it back. I have to mourn the loss of that. And then move forward to say, now I do know, as you saw in the episode of Roni this week, I do know definitively who my father is. I cannot tell you how much, how much, just gratitude I have for that. What, what, whatever the relationship becomes or doesn't become, put a pin in that I know whose I am. Yes. I know the paternal identity from which I come from. For those of you who have always grown up knowing that, just, just take a moment to say thank you, God, because that is an invaluable piece of your identity that whether you know it or not, informs the level of validity in which you will walk through the world, the level of legitimacy in which you walk through the world. And frankly, those were things I did struggle with deeply um, and probably to some degree still do if I'm being vulnerable, um, because not knowing that aspect of who I am and where I come from is a very hard thing for a young girl. And I can only imagine, and I've seen the impact that it has had on many young women, especially growing up in the inner city. And it usually isn't isn't a great outcome in, in a number of cases. And you're extraordinarily blessed to have grown up without your father, obviously a mom who was there and who worked her butt off to put you through pageant school, et cetera, and pushed for you to be in these gifted classes because she knew that you were, you were gifted too. That's a, another part of the journey. But as you mentioned last week, I believe it was the episode of Roni play where it is affirmed that there at least is an idea of one of three men were to be your father. And of course, I, you know, I don't want to give away anything because this season is still ongoing. But did it confirm who it is? Uh, through DNA, I was able to reach out to the man that my geneticist predicted. She was out. That woman is phenomenal. Um, she's absolutely right. Gee, if you're cool with it, I would love to link her contact information in your episode notes. Um, for anybody Please that's do. listening, yeah, to this and, and wants that help. Linda, What's her name? Linda is her name, and she is Linda Linda Doyle, and she is fantastic. Um, she she's just blessed. Again, she's called. I, I think that's a word we need to use and normalize. Some people are called to do certain things in this life. Some people are called to the pulpit. Some people are called to art. Linda is called yeah. to connect family. So how has that, that process been? You've spoken with him. Have you met him? Are y'all in contact? Or what does that look like? We have. My father and I have spoken on the phone. And listen, it's without giving too much away, it, it has not been an easy process. I, I can't imagine what it's like to get a phone call after literally almost 40 years and say, hello, I am your daughter. And by the way, I'm your daughter and I have a pretty significant public profile. 
And I think all of that is a part of it. So uh, I believe, Gianno, my father's processing. Um, I am prayerful that that processing continues to the point where we are able to start a really special friendship. You know, again, I don't have an expectation that this man can go back in a time capsule and re-raise me. That, that right. for me, has come and that is gone, and I have to grieve the loss of that. I will never be that little girl running into daddy's arms. It's not going to happen. So I have to grieve the loss of that and, and instead make a new story, a new expectation of beauty that says that this, this man, who by all accounts I hear is a lovely man, he's been a lovely father to my sisters, a lovely grandfather to my nieces and nephews, um, and a lovely husband to his wife. Um, so this is a man of, of excellence and hope that I can have a relationship with him in that capacity. Now, you mentioned something I, I think uh, is of interest here to people who are listening. If I and was in that situation, which obviously I've never been in, I don't have any children, but if I found out my daughter was Ebony K. Williams and I learned more about her, I would I would want to, hey, I want to meet you as soon as possible. I want to talk to you every day. I want to, whatever part of your life you want to share with me, I would like to spend time getting to know and 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 certainly being there for you because of all this lost time, almost almost 40 years. I'm not sure if that's necessarily has happened. Um, and, you know, you correct me if, if, if I'm wrong, because you said you've spoken with him on the phone, et cetera. How does that make you feel? Um, that, that makes me sad, G. Of course, I would love to talk to this man more frequently. But again, I don't know his process. I'll tell you what I don't do is I don't take it personally. Right. I know enough to know I've had enough prayer and therapy to know this is not a rejection of me personally. He doesn't know me to reject me. Right. So instead, this is a reflection of his, I don't know, pot- potential limitations, maybe um, mm-hmm. a, a, an example of where, where of his pacing. And listen, who the thing I prayed for the most is to know who is he? What does he mm-hmm. look like? What does he sound like? What is his name? I have that. And if I don't get more than that, I can honestly tell you I'm still grateful. And I'm very, mm-hmm. a question I've been getting to G is like, do I regret going on the journey, seeing, you know, how it, it's not that scenario of we're talking every day, we're hanging out every day. No, I don't regret it for one second. It really was a painful thing to, to on every application. I want people to really think about this in their own gratitude. Every application I've ever filled out my entire life, from the SATs to the bar exam to my first marriage license to every application for an apartment I've ever filled out to all of it. Passport, when it, it says mother, Glory J. Williams, boom, got it. Father, for 38 years almost, it's been N.A. N.A. Mm. For the first time in my life, I can put a name there. I can't tell you how powerful that is for me. And I think for those who may take those moments for granted, you realize the gravitas that is really illustrated in this moment by saying, listen, I didn't fill out a number of applications. It says, hey, dad, mom, and I couldn't put in my, my dad's name. I think that's I think that's something for folks who may have a two-parent home or grew up in it. They're like, wow, I, I didn't even think about it to that magnitude. So, I mean, we certainly appreciate you sharing that. And I want to pick up this conversation um, after the break. We need to take a quick break, but when we come back, I'm going to ask Ebony about her time at Fox and her transition to reality TV. We'll be back in a second.
Good sleep should come naturally, and with the new Natural Hybrid mattress, it can. A collaboration between award-winning mattress brand Lisa and home design favorite West Elm, the Natural Hybrid is the culmination of these two companies' shared values, premium materials, meticulous craftsmanship, and sustainable practices. Made with natural latex, responsibly sourced natural wool, and environmentally safe foams, the Natural Hybrid elevates your sleep sanctuary. Indulge your senses and supports a greener tomorrow. Plus, when you purchase the natural hybrid, you're also helping fuel Lisa's work with shelters and those in need. Since 2015, Lisa has donated more than 40,000 mattresses to ensure children and families have a safe place to sleep. Don't put off a good night's sleep any longer. Get a Lisa mattress today for a sound sleep tonight. Visit lisa.com slash iHeart. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com slash iHeart. Hey, have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app, and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. Stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. Welcome back to Ally with Gianno Caldwell. I got Ebony K. Williams on the podcast, and I couldn't be more excited to have someone who's more like a sister to me than just about anyone. The only thing that separates us is blood. And I've not even checked our blood types yet. So maybe that's even. <laughs> Perhaps. <laughs> we got to check that out. <laughs> we, may, we may be closer to, than, than I even think, Ebony. But I wanted to ask you you've described your time at Fox News as challenging, and you said you went there to disrupt things, not to be comfortable. Could you elaborate on that? Sure. You know, when I go back to when I first started appearing on Fox, so this was 2013, it was, I'll never forget my very first hit, uh, as we call it in the business segment. It was on the O'Reilly Factor. It was live. It was with Bill and uh, a reverend, actually, and it was uh, to, to debate, analyze the outcome of the George Zimmerman trial. And I had actually never even seen the O'Reilly factor before, but I, I, you know, I'm not under a rock. I know the the gravitas of O'Reilly's show and and the impact on culture. So what, you know, it was really legal analysis I was able to offer as a skilled trial attorney and talk about the case and the, and the cultural impact, which was really to me why I think O'Reilly was such a huge star at the network and his show was number one for 20 years. It was because people like law, people like policy, but people want to talk about how it impacts the culture, American culture. <clears throat> so anyways, um, after that hit, you know, it was met with mixed review in terms of people agreed, people didn't agree. But what almost universally I got, Gianno, was people had never really seen anything like me before, meaning my age demographic, meaning a black woman who was not a particularly partisan person. I've always been a loud, proud, a registered political independent 
for over 18 years, somebody who has a background in, uh, in law uh, and unafraid to use it, somebody who has worked in political spaces in Louisiana while I was coming up through law school, somebody from the South, from the American South, who grew up with those roots and is proud of them. So I just reflected and represented something very uh, unique at the network. And I knew if I was going to sit in that space and not assimilate to everything else that the network was used to, that by way of existence would be disruptive. So that's what I mean when I say I went there to disrupt. That is not in any negative connotation. That is not in any um, malicious intent. It is simply to say by showing up as something so altogether different than what was currently on the network in an on-air capacity, by nature, that is disruptive. You know, it's so interesting to me as you talk about Fox News, everything what you're saying is true. You were a star at the network. Suzanne Scott, the CEO, promoted you to co-hosting the show, which going from a contributor to, to, to co-host, especially that quickly, that quickly is the key word, shows how much that they loved and uh, appreciated your commentary, even though it wasn't a super conservative slant. You weren't going in as a Republican. You weren't Karl Rove. You weren't Gianno Caldwell or any of those things. And I'm not some super conservative uh, Carl Rove type figure, but I am a conservative, uh, more moderate in my in my point of view. Yeah, you have legitimate Republican uh, credentials. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. But those are the things that you weren't. And I think people appreciated that because I remember seeing the social media. People would say, I don't agree with you, but I love the way you stated your point. I didn't agree with you on this or that, but I appreciate what you bring to the network. You made me think about this differently. I'm glad that my daughter can look at the TV and see you on it. Like I've seen the emails, I've seen uh, the tweets, I've seen all of that over over the years. And it really bothers me, Ebony, that I've seen in places like the Daily Mail, uh, these hit pieces that they've done on you with regards to your time at Fox News. And honestly, have said just a, a deluge of lies, just negative headlines, lies, that we're, we've seen from the Daily Mail, uh, people saying that, hey, you know, she was um, too much of a talent. You were you expected too much. You were mean to staff and all this kind of trash. And I'm like, wait a second. <laughs> Ebony and I worked at Fox the same time and people knew that Ebony brought me in. And as a matter of fact, when I had my meetings with the executives to be brought in from a contractual basis, it made me look good that I was brought in by Ebony K. Williams and they had nothing but great things to say about you. We switching gears in terms of the Fox stuff, but it's just really interesting how people are reflecting on your time at Fox now and, and bringing up a lot of false narratives, things that are just completely and totally untrue. How does that make you feel? You know, this is not my wheelhouse, meaning I'm new to this reality TV space. I am used to being a journalist. I'm used to being a host of content. I'm used to being a lawyer. So in those spaces, I've always dealt in fact. Um, what is new to me is to be in tabloids. Okay, so now we got to have a conversation about what is legitimate press, um, you know, which I'm very accustomed to. I've given hundreds of interviews throughout my career, maybe even thousands, um, in a variety of places. What I'm not used to is being the source of tabloid fodder, and those like the Daily Mail and all that shit. That is a tabloid. And at first I was really taken aback, like, oh my God. And then you look and see, like, to your who would say such a bold-faced lie? And then you talk right. to the journalist and they say, oh, it's it's a source, an unnamed source. Okay, come on now. 
Come on now. So you'd rather go with an unnamed source than the source I provided to you, um, which was actually reported by Variety, an actual legitimate publication just recently this week, where my then supervisor, uh, Mr. David Clark, who was then vice president and executive producer of all of Weekend News at Fox News at the time, uh, you know, gave a literal glowing report at every turn. You know, he voluntarily unsolicited sent me an email, which was published in Variety, essentially saying, I'm paraphrasing, uh, you were spectacular, um, not only on on-air performance, uh, everyone in the D.C. Bureau enjoyed thoroughly working with you uh, to that point of how I am with the the, the staff and crew. You know, I, I, I knew everybody by name from uh, receptionists to cameramen to the gentlemen, normally it was gentlemen, that, that, that mic'd us as we sit down to do our hits and, and, and commentary or anchor a newscast. So just the height of... of you know, slander. That's all it was, G. It was just slander. And again, you know, Megan McCain, who you know that we both worked with at Fox and I worked with very closely, especially during my time guest hosting on Outnumbered, uh, which was, you know, the talk show that she hosted, co-hosted. And Megan on The View, as of like a month ago, was like, listen, I don't know what people over there talking about with Ebony being disruptive in any space in terms of not disruptive, being a problem. I have her uh, quote here and I have David Clark's as well. If I may just read it for the audience, it, just great platitudes here. I cannot thank you enough. And this is David Clark uh, emailing you. I can, And I remember this email because you sent it to me when you got it. <laughs> I remember it. I have it in my box. <laughs> I remember when you sent it to me uh, years ago. He says, I cannot thank you enough for making the trek to D.C. these past many weekends to co-anchor, which is America's newsroom headquarters from there. You did a superb job, and the D.C. staff has repeatedly expressed their very positive feelings about your performance and their dealings with you. Let's catch up when you're back in New York. And then from Megan McCain uh, on The View, of course, she stated this live on air. She said, I actually know Ebony. We used to work together at Fox News. She's actually among being the first black New York housewife. She was also the first black woman to host a show in primetime and news. The Ebony I know is an extremely intelligent, hardworking. I mean, she was like a very good sparring partner on my old show, Outnumbered, and I always enjoy being with her on air. I'm happy she's bringing diversity and shining a light towards a lot of the unconscious bias and just bias and racism and unconscious racism in particular on reality television. This is a woman who could probably run for office if she wanted to, so I'm happy to see her on reality television. I hope she takes that platform and continues on because she really is a really, really <laughs> always been an interesting voice. It's nice to see a highly intellectual woman on reality television. Not that there hasn't been any, but well, I just know it personally. So those were words from Megan McCain um, that she gave on The View. So again, somebody else that knows you, I know you. And of course, I don't speak for everyone at Fox News. I only speak for myself and what I heard and what I seen per my time there. Um, but no, I mean, I, you, you gotta you say it exactly that way. So I don't know what other people may say behind closed doors, but I know what was been publicly stated by executives, talent and staff. So that, that was just to me when I read that and I saw some of the things there, I was like, oh yeah, this is a bunch of BS. And I can't imagine anyone who actually worked at Fox saying these things, um, that they said about you. So that's, that was just bizarre. And you're right. You're now... 
you're a bona fide celebrity. It's not being on Fox News. On being on Fox News, you can be famous in certain areas, but now you're you're, in my opinion, the most impactful housewife in the in the franchise. People are talking about real issues. Now, granted, people do watch reality show to see people fall out in bushes and be drunk and, and throw glass bottles. That's why I wouldn't I wouldn't be watching it because it's not my thing, but you've done and I don't agree with everything you say. Let's be clear about that, as you don't agree with everything that I say. But you've made an impact that I think most people would never expect to come out of a, a housewife franchise. And that, I think, probably is the is one of the biggest honors that you can have. How does that that make you, you feel and think about what you're doing? As people say that, oh, if you go and do the housewife show, it, it would take you down a peg. Your brand wouldn't be the same. You would be known as a reality TV show a star, and that's it. You would never be able to get back in news, and none of those things are true. No, thank God none of those things are true. But again, I never had those worries. Um, let's go back to when it was announced that I was going to be the first Black Housewife on Real Housewives of New York, which was October of 2020. Like you said, uh, we, we had been in deep conversation, so it was no surprise to you. But you, we have mutual colleagues um, in various news spaces that reached out to you with concern, right? On my behalf. Yo, yeah, what's your yeah. girl doing? <laughs> um, she's messing up a great career. All these, And I had those same things. The reason I was never concerned about it, worried or fearful, again, God had ordered the step. You know, there's that meme, um, G, that talks about how people aren't supposed to understand your calling because God didn't give it to you on a conference call. Right. So that is deep to me. That is saying that you have people at this point in my career, I feel just trust me. It don't have to make sense to you. It don't have to make sense to you. It doesn't have to look logical to you. It doesn't have to look like anything that makes sense to you. Just trust that at this point in the game, I know what I'm doing because I my ear is to the kingdom. Okay, and he is telling me by direct order and spiritual calling exactly how to move and manifest. Again, let's go back to my time at Revolt on Say of the Culture. People said that then. Oh, my God, what are you doing? You're going to be sitting up there with a bunch of rappers and you're better than that. And did what people need to know about me, because, again, this is all favorite play here. This is not me. This is of God. I'm never going to reduce myself to a position of a platform. What's going to happen is an elevation of the platform, period, every time, every time. I could go on the Bad Girls Club, know that the Bad Girls Club is going to look different <laughs> with me on there. That's just yeah. the vibes. So I really hope at this point, people that have watched Roni, that have never watched it before, which is a litany of people, have some people turned it off? Absolutely, because they are not with anything of substance. They only want to see something vapid and ridiculous that frankly makes a mockery of women. So if that's why you watch the show, you are probably not enjoying it with me on it because it's too much substance. It's too much vulnerability. It's too much real life. I'm proud of that because that's the future of this franchise. See, people have to also understand this, Gianna. We are living in a cultural climate where things that were acceptable socially are just not acceptable anymore. Now, we can debate the merits of why and how and is it moving too fast or something, but it is what it is. It's here, okay? You can't go into the workplace anymore and slap a woman on the booty and say, good job, and okay? That's not going down anymore. Similarly, in, in reality television, some of the antics, some of the antics are not sustainable, so the platform has to evolve. And, and the fact that God has chosen me, called me to do this work in this way in front of millions of viewers each and every week, 
that I'm able to connect to, get people thinking about what it is to go and search for their biological parent, what it is to celebrate the beauty of the bond between black and Jewish communities, what it is to celebrate the beauty of black excellence, whether it be in Harlem or Alabama or Atlanta or D.C., I'm extremely blessed to, and honored to serve in that space. Well, thank you for uh, making that statement, Ebony. I appreciate it. Now, we need to take another break. When we come back, I want to ask Ebony about some of the criticisms of her being on the show and what it might have done. Uh, <laughs> we got to talk about it. Some of the criticisms of you being on the show. We want to get into that uh, right after a quick break. Tired of restless nights? Meet Lisa, the sleep expert. Here at Lisa, we know that good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. That's why their mattresses are made for exceptional comfort and support, catering to every sleep need. Check out Lisa's Sapira Hybrid Mattress, named best hybrid mattress five years running. Sleep hot? The Chill Collection is built with cool-to-the-touch top fabric and layers of high-density comfort foams, all intended to remove excess body heat while maximizing comfort. With Lisa, getting a new mattress has never been easier. Delivery is free, and you have 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your home. Don't spend another night dreaming of better sleep. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com forward slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. That's l-e-e-s-a.com forward slash iHeart. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details. Hey, have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app, and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. Stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. So we got Ebony K. Williams on with Out Loud with Gianno Caldwell. excited to have her on, and we're talking real housewives. Now, you're in a much different place. Reality show is one in which people, reality TV is one in which people usually see as a, a place where uncouth people really reside. That's where the, where the folks that are willing to do anything and everything to be famous. And clearly, you're, you were a serious talent from the beginning. And just to put things in perspective, Last year, you all taped right after, right during the period of COVID, George Floyd. There was a lot of conversation going on about race. And every week, I can tell you from working at Fox News, it was something literally, I mean, every network, you should say, uh, was talking about it. Local television was talking about it. So just putting things in that perspective gives you an understanding how some of the conversations went on the show. Now, people have said that, uh, you you're you're too woke. You're you're preachy. They say you're inserting politics in a real housewives, and of course, people want to just watch uh, white women get drunk and throw things and talk about having sex and all these other things. 
And they're saying that you've impacted the show in a negative way by talking about blackness, by talking about uh, wokeness. And I don't I don't necessarily want to use that term. I know people who have been using it a lot lately. I asked Mark Lamont Hill on the podcast. I said, what what is woke? He said he didn't know. And I can agree because woke used to be something entirely different. When people talked about being woke, it was usually these highly intellectual black people who would say, listen, don't treat black women like that. Stay woke or or know about our history, our true history. Stay woke. It wasn't seen as the very divisive uh, statement as it is now because, I mean, the term has changed drastically. If by woke, what people mean is operating with a level of race consciousness, um, I proudly do so. Um, and, and, and woke even didn't really apply to me because to me, even the genesis of the term woke would, would reference some, an awakening, which means you are now conscious in a way that you have not been before. As somebody who from six years all on up was raised on the autobiography of Malcolm X and the narratives of Frederick Douglass and all the things, uh, the souls of black folk by Du Bois and Baldwin and all the things, I've never been sleep. <laughs> that might be for someone else that, that had an awakening of black consciousness. And I, I, it's never too late. <laughs> you know, somebody can get woke today, I guess. But I have never been out of touch with an extreme academic people have to forget you know i have a bachelor's degree in black studies i'm Mm -hmm. not new to this you know so um yes i think that the term people are looking for is somebody who is bringing an unapologetic and an intense level of black consciousness to the show and that has been met with scrutiny yes so it's been met with scrutiny there they were saying uh folks have said critics have said that you're ruining the show that by talking about it uh, wokeness, if you will, talking about black excellence. A, a lot of folks have said that, which is very interesting to me that they would even publish something like that. But to, to each his own, to say that, especially in that light, like, oh man, you're talking about black people too much. You're having a black Shabbat dinner. Like, what, what is this? What are you talking about Jewish people for? Why do we care? Like, we want to see fights and all of that. It, that didn't make sense to me. It's certainly different from what we've seen. Uh, I'm sure what people have seen on the show before. So, you know, I get that part. But what is your response when people say that you're you're ruining the show? Like I just don't I don't get that piece because you've made some interesting comments which I thought were valid. You talked about how it's the producers that set up the show; they edit everything in a particular way. So week after week, there can be conversations that can either be shared in its full detail or it can be brief. Um, you made mention mention of those things. You also talked about how. One of the most popular franchises, The Real Housewives of Atlanta, their ratings are dropping and people are now, you know, COVID isn't over, but people are now getting the freedom to go out the house. So who's necessarily sitting there watching television every night? We don't know because they've been locked in the house for 18 months. So, you know, what is there? So what is your response to that? I think people, you know, need to just really relax, Um, you know, and I think so. And or say what you really mean. Right. Which is not that, oh, no, she's ruining the show with all of this race talk or black consciousness talk or black excellence talk. Say what you mean, which is we're totally happy when the show centers on white excellence. I'll give you an example. There was a season where my castmate Sonia Morgan took everybody to Philadelphia to see the Morgan library, you know, of, of her her marital family, uh, the J.P. Morgan Chase Bank family. Um, we're all too happy when Ramona pulls up at the learning annex to, to listen to people talk 
uh, about how to have it all. Those are white centric events um, where no one's drunk, no one's falling into bushes. They're ac academic and educational in nature. And nobody had a problem with those things. But I have one Harlem night dinner around black excellence and Harlem Renaissance. And it's a problem. Come on. No, what you are bored with is that you are understandably conditioned to a narrative that centers around whiteness. And when a black woman, a first season housewife, has the audacity to move that central point to one of blackness, you are angry, you are upset, and you don't want to be part of it. And that's what's happening. And I, I can accept that, but I, I would prefer people be honest about it, G. And also miss me with the um, oh, I only watch this show for fun times, shenanigans, and, and antics. That's not true either. Because what some of the higher rated seasons of Roni dealt with divorce, dealt with bankruptcy, dealt with alcoholism, sobriety, arrest, felony arrest of assaults of police officers. Come on now. You know, so no, these shows, and that's just Roni. That's just Real Housewives of New York. You go to Beverly Hills, you're talking about suicide. You, talk, you know, these are some serious ass issues that are addressed on Real Housewives for years. It's the audacity to make them centered around blackness on a show that is a not all black cast because Atlanta did the same thing. You know, we saw Portia Williams protesting um, with, you know, several collective action groups around Breonna Taylor and so forth. We saw Married to Medicine going to the March on Washington and because they're physicians running COVID testing sites, which was beautiful to see. You know, so certain audiences tolerate that very and celebrate it even in a way that this Real Housewives of New York audience has not. Yeah, that's that's interesting. And I'm also uh, interested in why Ramona Singer has responded in a way that she has of, with <laughs> some of the comments she made around the Black Shabbat dinner and some of these other scenes that I've seen has been really interesting to watch how she responds and isolates herself when the conversations occur. It's just kind of weird to see that, but did that shock you to see how she responded to you when you, you have these kind of conversations? I was still at that point getting to know Ramona Giano. So I don't know if it's so much, it shocked me. It's just, you know, I'm a very pragmatic person. Um, so at that point I was still just obtaining really evidence of who she was as a woman and, and as a person. So when, you know, she made the comments about uh, false equivalencies between white and black women and maternal uh, mortality and uh, just other, you know, ridiculous comments that she made, um, the dismissal of the uh, Jewish uh, oppression here in America, the dismissal certainly of, of the black uh, experience in America, which can be both uh, oppressive and extremely liberating and powerful. Though, though was I surprised? Uh, no, what I was was taking notes. You know, so now, listen, people tell you, not just Ramona, all people, all people, Gianna, will tell you exactly who they are. You have to just be quiet long enough to listen. And then when they tell you who they are, as the great Maya Angelou said, says, believe them the first time. So that's all I have to say about that. I was so interested in knowing how you felt about that, because that one would look problematic to me just seeing her response. But that's me personally. I don't know how everybody else thought about it, but it was just odd at best. It was just, it just looked insane to me. But anyway, moving on, before we let you go, because we've been talking for a bit and I know you got things to do. Before we let you go, I wanted to get your take on some of these headlines that are out there this week. Just get your thoughts on it, if you would. As I'm sure you saw, the Taliban took over Afghanistan right after President Biden withdrew our remaining troops from there. 
The scenes that we saw, oh my gosh, at the airport was shocking. Desperate Afghans were literally trying to hang on to a U.S. military plane as they flew away. And several thousand Americans remained trapped in Afghanistan. What are your thoughts on the debacle there? Listen, you know, what I'm not going to do is Monday morning quarterback. I think the basics are what you said. Heartbreaking, devastating. Um, it's just, it's, it's, it's a nightmare. Um, my heart and soul and prayers go out to the Afghan people, particularly uh, the women and girls there whose lives uh, will never be the same. We know that. Um, none of the peoples will, but but the, the women and girls, it's, it's going to be extra horrible. Um, as it relates to the politics, you know, I'll echo uh, Condoleezza Rice, um, who knows more about geopolitics than most. We've had four administrations um, really err, to put it very mildly, and uh, contribute to devastation, to probably put it more accurately, as it relates to what we are currently seeing in Afghanistan. And that's not to take anything away from the responsibility of Biden, but I'm not about to sit up here and act like Trump is not also responsible. Barack Obama is not also responsible. And George W. Bush is not also responsible. Um, and, and all we can do is really pray that God forgives us and our nation for our contribution to the devastation of those people. Yeah. And, and you're right. The, there was a number of presidents who had a hand in this going all the way back to George, uh, George W. Bush, for sure. And obviously now, Biden is the president and Biden is the one who said on the world stage when he was running for office that he would be the adult in the room. He would talk to our allies. And apparently it was reported that he's not had any conversations with our allies. And he and I get it. You're right. You you know, you know that he has uh, taken this, but he really is to blame for this withdrawal, which is unnecessary and not what I would expect from a U.S. sitting president who has so much experience in this place uh, being in foreign policy for decade after decade. So I definitely get your point there. And I just wish that the people can work together. We can have a bipartisan conversation about this. We do need to take care of those interpreters who helped us. Uh, we need to get our military equipment out if we can. If we can, we need to really not surrender the stage to the to a domestic not domestic but a terrorist operation known as the Taliban. So I just find that to be just embarrassing and horrific that President Biden has allowed this to go on. It's really troubling for me, especially as being someone who was supposed to be such a serious leader on these issues. Yeah, I mean it's unconscionable. Um buck stops with Biden, no doubt. But the problem is every American president said they were going to do so this was going to happen regardless. You know, we could, whoever did this, whoever pulled out completely, this was going to be the result. I don't really, if I'm being real with you, Gianno, see much better of an outcome um, because so many of the on the ground Afghani people, um, it just wasn't, I don't think the numbers were there to prevent this kind of outcome. I really don't. Um, could there have been more diplomatic conversations? Sure. Um, would that have made a difference? I'm not sure. Um, what I do believe is this was flawed from the onset. You know, I think when you decide that you're going to go occupy foreign terrain in this way, there has to be a much deeper, more coherent long term strategy. And there never was one from the onset. And that's what we're seeing now. Then the question is, whose children are we going to send over there to die? You know, no. who's going? So it's a it's a terrible outcome all around. Yeah, no, no question about it. And 
you know, I personally disagree that uh, it would be the same way no matter who the president was. But that's another conversation for another day. Ebony, I want to thank you so much for joining me on No, 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 Whose leadership would have made it look different, do you think? And what would it, that leadership entail? A, pr- a president who was willing to take the advice from the military officials on the ground. The military was against, many officials in the military were against doing the withdrawal this way. Meaning withdraw all at once? Right. First and foremost, you're the president of the free world. You should talk to our allies. Our allies um, have people on the ground there as well. You're the biggest, the most powerful country. So there should have been an ongoing conversation. Right. Okay. So let's let's play out the hypothetical. So and so. Let's move the let's move the names because I think that that flusters the conversation. President A talks to the allies. The allies say Mm -hmm. um, maintain some troop presence. uh, Otherwise, it's going to be a shit show. That's, That's that's what happened. Right. How my question, though, is what president is going to continue to come to the American people and the American military families and say your sons and daughters and non-binary identifying soldiers are still over here in a country where this country is not willing to stand up in the same way? How, how long does that go on? That's, all, that's my only question. I mean, one can argue, hey, we should have left a long time ago. And I think that's a reasonable argument to have. However, one could argue we should have never gone. And that's true, too. I mean, we can, we can talk about that and we can talk about how big of a failure it was for George W. Bush to have been pushing the war to begin with and how we were lied to. That's true. But you then elect other people. And I get it. You take President B name out of it and you just insert any president. If you're going to have somebody who said, I'm. I'm a foreign policy wonk. I'm the guy who knows how to get it done. I know all the world leaders and I talk to them regularly. And then you get on the world stage and you refuse to draw. Listen to the the military officials who are on the ground who understands. That's what the previous president said. I would listen to the military officials on the ground before making the decision because he wanted to draw down the troops, too. But you can't. I'm just curious. Is the solution of forever occupancy? Because that's what Obama. Oh, no, it it isn't. It isn't. But you should have ensured that you've got now key people and you work with our allies to do it safely. The military should have been the last ones to go. So the Taliban didn't overtake the region as quickly as they did. That's where it becomes problematic, in my view and in my eyes. And especially when our president knew about all of this stuff. A Wednesday, a Thursday, and then by that Friday he went on vacation. Like what? Who does that? Ted Cruz, another conversation Ted Cruz, for another day. Ted Cruz. He went to Cancun on COVID. This yeah, wasn't COVID about the Afghan people, and and, and COVID killed huh? more people than Afghanistan. The hell are you talking about, G? And let's be and let's be clear. He's not the president. He's a U.S. senator, and yes, he should have stayed put. He shouldn't have left. He shouldn't have left, but. Again, he shouldn't have left, but again, but again, that's not one excuse or another. The conservatives attack Ted Cruz just like conservatives are attacking uh, Joe Biden for going on vacation. But again, and this is the problem with our whole shit, right? Why can't conservatives attack Ted Cruz and why can't Democrats attack Joe Biden? See, see the hypocrisy? 
Yeah, but Democrats aren't attacking Joe Biden. They're making every excuse in a book for and him. And conservatives were not attacking Ted Cruz. They actually were a number of conservatives attacking it. And let's be clear, I was one of the ones saying, what were you thinking going on vacation in the middle of COVID? It's a horrible look. We can talk about the outlier partisans that have the balls and the political integrity to attack, uh, not even attack, to hold their uh, party leadership accountable. Y'all are outliers when it does happen. When are we as a nation, Gianno, going to put people, policy, and integrity over partisanship? And that's why I can't rock with these political parties. I'm just telling you. Maybe when you run for office, we can do that. Are you running for office at any point? I probably, what that could look like, I can't imagine because I'm not a, a partisan hack. And yeah. I just, the, the, the politics is a money game. So how does one get enough money to run successfully without playing the political partisan game. And that's, 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 when we figure that out as a nation, we might get on track to avoid this type of global catastrophe as we are seeing now in Afghanistan. And we might get on track as to avoid the domestic implications of a pandemic that could have been handled in a much better way a lot sooner and spared and a lot of lives. with that, Ebony K. Williams ends with a soliloquy. <laughs> Thank you so much for your monologue and uh, providing us with the platform that if you decide to run for office one day, I'm sure this would be a part of the conversation. And I think that if you did, we, we would be well served. Uh, so thank you so much for joining me and all the love and respect for you and what you're doing, even though I don't agree with everything you do or say. But, you know, you've been a very consistent light in my life. Um, you tell me when you think I'm wrong. You give me constructive criticism and you do it in love. So for people who thought that this was going to be some big debate or I was going to uh, gotcha interview for my last one, it was going to be some crazy explosive thing. That's not what I'm going to do with my sister ever. Mm. Never going to do that with her. And, I, you know, I have just the greatest respect for you and, and, and appreciation. So thank you for joining me as we in the season on the 50th episode i love you so much sis and i'm wishing you all the light and all the flowers that you're going to get from here on out I'm, I'm so happy to see it all the love and all the light bro talk to you soon congrats i want to thank my sister ebony k williams again for a great interview if you're enjoying the show please leave us a review and rate us with five stars on apple podcast to hear more of my episodes and get my weekly newsletter, go to gingerishstreet60.com slash Gianno. You can also find me on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Parlor at Gianno Caldwell. And if you're interested in learning more about my story, please pick up a copy of my best-selling book, which Ebony is actually in. It's called Taken for Granted, How Conservatism Can Win Back the Americans That Liberalism Failed. Especially thanks to our producer, Drew Steele, researcher Aaron Klingman, and executive producers, Debbie Myers, and speaker Newt Gingrich, all part of the Gingers 360 Network. Hey, have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast.
Good sleep should come naturally, and with the new Natural Hybrid mattress, it can. A collaboration between Lisa and West Elm, the Natural Hybrid is expertly crafted from natural latex, natural wool, and certified safe foams to elevate your sleep sanctuary and support a greener tomorrow. Plus, every purchase helps fuel Lisa's work with shelters and those in need. Don't put off a good night's sleep any longer. Get a Lisa mattress today for a sound sleep tonight. Visit lisa.com slash iHeart. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com slash I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. Stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening.